come to the end of our series that we've been in this summer, uh, First Peter. And uh, I was trying to think through, man, how do we land the plane? How do we kind of wrap up what? Um, some of you guys have been here every week. Some of you kind of been here in and out. Some of you, this is your first week. And, and I thought about, man, just kind of setting it up in, in this way. And so the, the original people that would have received this letter, so this was a letter that was written to very real people 2,000 years ago. And the way that this would have worked is that the church would have been gathered kind of like this. And they would have gotten this letter from this man named Peter, who was just this pillar in the church. He was just globally renowned as this man who loved and followed Jesus. And so this would have been a very big deal to have gotten a letter from, from Peter. And so they would have gathered and, and they, would have let, they would have read this letter from the very beginning to the very end. And, 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 and I was asking, man, why would he write this letter? Like, why would he give this letter to this family, to these, these people in the, that were Christians? And the answer to that is that so when the people left each other, so that when they stepped back into the hard things that they were going through, some of them, when they stepped back into just the routines of life, that, that they would think and they would live differently. You know, the, this, this word that we've been using that has kind of carried us throughout this whole letter is this, this word sojourner. And Peter's reminding them, hey, this world is, you don't belong to it any more than, than you and I belong to this world. And he, and, and he knows that the people who, who were gathered on a Sunday morning or whenever it was that they gathered to, to read this letter, to hear these words, he knew that they were facing rejection. He knew that they were facing resistance in the culture that they lived in because of their love and their commitment to Jesus. And so they would gather and they would hear these words. And, and the very words that were read to them were, were this source of life and encouragement, and them being together was this taste of the better things that they were waiting for. And them gathering and them hearing from Peter, it served as fuel to propel them to live out the mission when they left each other. And as beautiful as it is, and I think God wants to keep just drilling down his love and his spirit when the people of God are to gather. The, the point of this is not for us just to come in here and to receive and then to go back out into our lives unchanged. No, he, he does this. To, he, he allows us to be together, to, to experience worship, to break the bread, to, to, to share encouraging words with each other so that when you and I leave this place, the world around us who will never give Jesus a chance to come in here, I mean, they get to see the goodness of Jesus. And so this is fuel for the people of God. And so today we're gonna look at these last words. We're gonna read the, the last bit of, of, his, of his letter. And, and the whole purpose of this is that so that when you and I leave this place, we're prepared to go and do something with it. So we're gonna trust the Lord is gonna speak to us. He's gonna strengthen us. He's gonna send us. And so there are a couple of movements just in these few verses that Colleen read that I want us to, to, to pay attention to this morning. And the first kind of movement that I see in these last verses is that, is that Peter wants to raise our awareness. So he wants to raise our awareness in, in particular of two things, the, the enemy and who we are as a people of God. So the first thing that he's wanting to do in, in, the, in, in the sending of his letter is, is to raise our awareness of who the enemy is and who we are. And so, you know, he, he starts out in verse eight and he says, hey, be alert and of sober mind. And, and Peter mentions this three or four different times in his letter. We're like, man, does he have amnesia? Why does he keep saying that? Like, did he forget that he just wrote that? No, because he knows how unbelievably important it is for us as a people of God to be alert, to be sober minded. You know, think about that idea of being alert. When, when are you alert? A couple of 
things that came to my mind. You know, when, when you're driving in a new city, maybe you experienced this this summer, Zach, you're up in New York. You don't know where you are. You're trying to listen to, to ways, tell you where to go. You're trying not to hit somebody. And, and right, like you, you, you notice that your hands are just a little bit tighter on the wheel. Your back's a little bit straighter and, and you're alert. Think about a couple weeks ago, my wife and I, we had our three kids and then we had um, two of our nephews and a niece that came and stayed with us for a whole weekend. I officiated a wedding that weekend. My wife put all six kids um, to bed by herself. We need to give her a round of applause right now. You know, the St. Courtney. And, and so I, I took all kids, one of our neighbors has a pool. And so I took all six kids swimming for like 30 minutes to give Courtney a little break. And I'm telling you, I've never been more alert in my life, right? I'm like constantly just like, and, and, and she shows up and I'm worn out from just being on such high uh, alert and being alert is a good thing, right? You know, what happens when, when we're not alert? What happens when we, when we check out? When we allow the haze to set in? You know, for some of you guys, what happens when you're not alert? You're missing the cues that she's sending to you that she's interested in. And because you're not alert, you're missing it. <laughs> When you're not alert, you, you don't hear things that your spouse is trying to tell you or your boss or your friends, right? There, there's this thing that happens when, when we just choose to, to and we know that we, when we're there and we might not consciously choose to do it, but we all know when, when the alertness level goes from here to here. Think about this Spiritually. You ever have those moments where you consciously, spiritually check out? Yeah, that's a big deal. Or you consciously, you're in a, a, a tough place in a relationship or in your marriage or in a friendship and, and you consciously just kind of harden your heart? Wow. And we all do that. Peter says, I want you to be alert. I want you to be sober-minded. You know, as, as a follower of Jesus, the baseline that we have is sober-minded, right? Isn't that the, right that so, the way that sobriety works? Like you're sober until you choose to alter that sobriety. First Corinthians chapter two, do you know what it tells us? You know what Paul's last words at the end of first Corinthians chapter two says? He says, we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. And what he's calling us to is, is to not to distort the sober-minded, to, to not consciously check out, but to be aware of two things, the enemy. I love how C.S. Lewis, what he says about this. And he says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall in regards to the devil. One is to disbelieve in the existence and the other is to believe and to feel an unhealthy and excessive interest in them. And I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about the devil this morning. I don't think he deserves that attention. But what I want to notice, what I want us to notice is what Peter says in regards to him. And what does he say? What does he say? In verse nine, be alert and a sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. What does he say in verse nine? Resist him. Resistant, interesting. I love this because think about this. Growing up at school, if there was ever a bully, maybe you were the bully and you need to repent. We'll talk about that afterwards. 
But if you ever got bullied, you come home and you tell your parents, you tell your teacher, right? And, and, and what do they say to you? Like, what, what do your parents say to you? Josh, there's no way you ever got bullied, right? But, 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 but what do they say to you? Hey, go tell your teacher. If, if someone shows up and, and they're intimidating you, if they're, if they're hurting you, go and, go and tell someone. But what do they say if you're bigger and stronger? Stand up to them. That's not politically correct in the culture that we stand in, right? I'm not saying that that we say, hey, go and throw punches and pull out the guns. But we say, hey, don't don't let people push you around. And I was thinking about what what is Peter implying when he says, resist the devil. What is it that he's wanting us to understand on a deep level as the people of God? He's wanting us to understand that we can, okay? That we are capable because of Christ, with Christ. Someone turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. Whoever gets there first, I invite you to, to stand up and read it loud if you can. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. First person there to stand up and read it as loud as you can. No temptations overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. Someone else read that. Thanks, Keila. First Corinthians 10, verse 13. Someone else stand up and read it. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Thanks, Logan. Yeah, so, so we read this verse in 1 Peter and we go, man, Satan's going around like a lion looking for someone to devour. And our very first instinct is to be fearful. Like, I don't know about you, but I hear on the news of like lions that like escape from zoos or in countries where like wild animals go free. And I'm like, if there's a wild animal going free in my neighborhood, I'm not leaving the house. And, and we hear this about Peter, what he's saying, and we get scared. We're like, oh no, what? And Peter says, don't be scared. Resist him because you can. You're stronger. You're you're bigger, not in and of yourself, Dan, but because Christ is in you. And we're like, that's right. Resist him. And and hear me, it, it doesn't mean that it's easy. I know the way that Satan comes after us because I know the way he comes after me. It's very sly. It's very manipulative. Man, when he comes at you, tempting you sexually, Peter doesn't say, oh, well, that's just an area where he just has the ace and he's always just gonna be stronger. No, he says, no, when he comes after you, resist him. And we feel that, right? Sometimes it feels like he is the lion. And you're tired and you've had a long week and and you pull out your phone. Or you're lonely and so you call that guy who's gonna give you the attention but not the attention that that you know that you're made for. It says when he comes at you sexually, resist him. When he comes at you through, through other people, Man, 
you've had these moments where someone does something and, 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 they, and they, they hurt you or they say something about you that's not true and, and this fire just builds up inside of us that we just want to put them in their place. You just want to, you just want to prove that you're right. You want to take a cheap shot and hurt them and he says, when those, when those things come at you, resist them. When the enemy calls up your past, when he calls you names that are not the name that Christ has given to you, when he seeks to change your identity, resist it. When he tells you that if you'll just, if you'll just take the drink, the pain will escape, at least for a few moments. Resist him. When you feel like you're, you're, you're just in this whirlwind of worry that you're never going to climb out of and he tells you that you're never going to get out of this, resist him. And it's like he's raising our awareness. Second thing that we see in this text is, is he reminds us that we're not alone. So he raises our awareness be alert, be of sober mind. He reminds us that we're not alone. I love verse nine. Standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. You know, what's he talking about there? Standing firm in the faith. He's getting at this idea that, that, that you and I begin to understand that who Christ is. And who we are because of who Christ is and what he has done. Right? So often in, in my own personal life, I just, I feel like my, my life is just spinning. When I'm off with God, when I'm not feeling it, that, that when my heart is just not locked in with the Lord so often that if I would just get in a quiet place and pray and take my eyes off of me and fix him on Jesus, he has this way of settling the storms inside of me. And I want to ask you if you're a follower of Jesus, as, as you grow up, as you're maturing in your faith, are you thinking more or are you thinking less about the cross and the empty tomb? And he says, resist him. And we go, yeah, we can resist him. Wait, how do we resist him? We all want to resist him. He says, by standing firm in the faith, by knowing who Christ is and who is Christ. The one who came, the one who, who, who got up on a cross, who bled and suffered and died for on God's sins and Anya's sins one day and my sin and Mary Beth's sins and Nick's sins. Who is Christ? He came as the son of God and he died for us. And Joseph and Nicodemus and some women, they took his body and they laid it in a tomb and three days later, he kept laying there, right? That's why you're here this morning, right? No, because he conquered death. Because Jesus died and he laid dead and he rose out of death. Who is Christ, the victorious son of God who took all of our sin on his shoulders? Died our death, 
that we deserved, all of our sin, all of our rebellion, all of our rejection of God, he died for it so that you and I, if we choose, could give our lives, we could surrender to Jesus, we could be immersed in the waters, that we could be clothed in Christ, that we could be filled with the Holy Spirit, that we could be his children, who is Christ. He is the savior of the world, the only savior. Stand firm in this truth that Christ is real, that though you can't see him, this is how the letter in 2 Peter begins, though you can't see him, you know him. Amy, you can't see Jesus, but you know him. Who is Christ, the son of God, the savior of the world? Stand firm in this, Jake. Stand firm in this, Lord. But it's not just about Christ. It's about who we are because of Christ. Romans chapter eight, verses 14 through 17. Someone turn there, stand up and read it. Romans chapter eight, verses 14 through 17. First person there. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit we are God's children. Now, if you are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we also share in his glory. Thanks, Todd. You know, we are sons and daughters. We are not sinners. We've been made sons and daughters. We've been filled with the spirit. We've been given spiritual gifts. We've been given spiritual authority. We've been given spiritual power. We've been given everything. We've been given holiness. We've been given righteousness so we could live for ourselves, right? No. So the entirety of our lives could be lived for him who died for us. And when the enemy comes after us, just like he did with Jesus, you see this in Matthew chapter three. Jesus goes down into the water. He gets baptized. Do you know what the father speaks to him as soon as he comes out of the water? What does he say to him? What does he say? What does he say? You're my son. Whom I love. With you I am well pleased. You're my son. And then 40 days later in Matthew chapter four, the enemy shows up. You know the very first thing that he says to Jesus? What does he say? What does he say? Say it loud. What does he say, Dale? Be confident. You nailed it. So God speaks to him. You're my son. And then 40 days later, the enemy shows up and says, if you're really the son. And isn't that the way the enemy always works? You never have a mountaintop moment and then a second later the enemy comes and like tries. No, it's always some time and some distance. So the enemy's gonna come after you, Austin. And And the Lord has spoken things over you. You're my son. You're seated on high. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You have all of my righteousness and you're gonna mess up and you're gonna stumble. The enemy's gonna come and he's gonna go, yeah, but but if, Austin. And we have a choice to make in those moments. We're going to live into things that God has said about us. We're going to choose to be clothed in that. We're going to resist the enemy. Or we're going to let the enemy continue to be the bully on the playground. 
And I don't know about you, but I'm tired of letting the enemy be a bully on the playground. Stand firm in the faith. Why? Because of believers throughout the world are going through the same sufferings. You know, in other aspects of life, have you ever noticed that when you realize other people are going through the same things, the same hard things you are, it has this way of continuing just to give you fuel to keep moving forward? That's why CrossFit works. <laughs> You're like, I hate this, but they're doing it. I can keep going. It's why SA and AA is so effective. It's why grief share works. Seeing others who are in the same struggle you are, it reminds you that you can triumph too. So often we get in our own worlds and we have these self-pity parties. I'm the only one and I'm the only one. And he says, no, you're not the only one. Quit thinking about yourself. Quit being so individualistic. Other people throughout the world are going through it. He says, so stand together. And I'm tired of us being we Christians. And I go, what if, if, if we stand together and when the enemy looks at our church, he goes, man, those are people, they won't buy my lies. They won't buy my deception. What if he looks at us and he sees us united in Jesus because of Jesus? And he realizes just like Jesus, nothing was working. He left. What if he looks at our church and he goes, there's no way for me to even work in these people. These men, these women are so grafted in the grace of Jesus, there's no moving them. Could you even imagine? And it starts with us standing firm. And no one's gonna make you do this. But this is what it means to be the people of God. He raises our awareness. He reminds us that we're not alone. And I love the last kind of movement that we see in this text. He reminds us that God is overall. He raises our awareness. He reminds us that we're not alone. He reminds us that God is overall. Verse 10, the God of all grace. Thank you. Who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Wow. After you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you. Make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Suffering has been this word that has come up so much because the people were going through it. And so many of you, this letter, even maybe today, is so timely because this is where you find yourself. So timely. How good is God that he knows what you're going through? You showed up this morning suffering. He speaks into your life. Amazing God. I don't know why God allows hard things to happen. I don't know why God allows you to go through hard seasons, maybe even a hard life. I don't understand it. But it's all around us. I was talking to a friend this week, and he's connected with um, some people here in our city and um, that are refugees. They were telling about one of their relatives who's living in the Middle East right now, and her Husband, this woman's husband, she has several children. Her husband finds out that she's loosely connected. She's not even a Christian, but there's some people in her family who are Christians. And so her husband beats her, drives her across the border into another country 
leaves her without a passport, without any money, without her kids. Can you even, like, this is happening. Why does God allow that? Why does God allow us to lose our jobs? Why did God allow you to lose your dad, your friend? I'm reading through the book of Exodus right now. Why does God allow for 400 years his people? He knows it. Why doesn't he make it 40 seconds? Why? I don't know. But what God does through suffering on the other side of it is something that only God can do. Did you hear the promise in 1 Peter 5? He himself, verse 10, will restore you. He will make us strong. He will make us firm. He will make us steadfast. Don't you love that idea, Aaron, of God working in your heart, working in our lives, in our minds to restore us? Isn't that beautiful, Jenna? To all the places in our lives where, where the enemy has, has hurt us and the world and our own sin have, have, have wounded us and distorted us, God comes in. And like an old car being restored, man, he works out all the dents and the dings. He cleans and he polishes and he fixes all that is broken and God does this. God restores you, Riley. He makes you strong and firm and steadfast. Is that how you would describe the way that you feel most times? Strong and firm and steadfast? Like, Ken, is that how you describe yourself? It's like, this is what I will do for you. He says, after a little while. And we're tempted to go. But why do we have to go through anything hard, God? And we're tempted to make assumptions. God can't be loving. He can't really love me. I can't really be his daughter. I can't really be his son if I went through this. The reality is that God isn't loving if he stands off and is uninterested in our suffering. But what you know, if you've ever read the scriptures, is that God always notices and he always cares about people who are suffering. And what God does with people in suffering is triumphs and restores on the other side of it. You see, and this is where it is so dangerous. When we start making our um, assumptions about God based upon the suffering that we are going through in the moment. Or the people around us, they're making assumptions based upon the things that they're going through in the moment. It's, it's like showing up and, and the movie has already started and, and, and it's 30 minutes in and you watch it for a minute and you go, this movie is stupid and you get up and you leave and your whole understanding of the movie is about one little part that you didn't like. And how many of us do that with God? And what he's telling us here, for a little while, you're gonna suffer. And it's not that I don't care. In fact, it's the exact opposite. It's that I care so much that I entered into it to understand it even more. Jesus did not have to come to experience it, but he did. And he knows and he understands and he triumphed. And I love this. We see the power of God because he does allow us to go through some hard things for a while, but only for a while. And then I love what God says. There's a moment where he'll say, 
Enough is enough. I let my kids, um, especially the older kids, bicker and fight. Moderation. Because <laughs> I want them to, to develop. And, and, when, and when Jones comes up and he hits Finley, I want to see what Finley's going to do. I know she's stronger. I know she can just put him in his place. Like, we're trying to develop her character. Because there's going to be a day, you know, she starts school this week. There's going to be a day where some punk kid does something that's going to hurt her. And, and instead of me showing up to school and just chewing out that kid, putting that kid in their place, man, we're, we're watching. And when it gets out of hand, yeah, we intervene. And we understand God as a father who's so in tune, who's so in tune to us, who's interested in developing our character, developing our hope, developing our perseverance. What an amazing God we have. Peter ends his letter, with the help of Silas, who's my faithful brother, I've written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is a true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who's in Babylon, he's not literally talking about Babylon, he's talking about Rome. He says, the church who's in Rome sends you greetings. It's so beautiful. He's saying that the church that's here in Rome, we're thinking about you. We know the hard stuff you're going through. I want you to know that we care. So does my son Mark, the one who wrote the gospel of Mark. He says, greet one another with a kiss of love. Some of you are like, that sounds awesome, Right? It says, peace to all of you who are in Christ. Peace. What a wonderful letter. But it's only helpful if we do something with it. It's only helpful to us and to our neighbors and to our coworkers and to our families who need Jesus if we actually do something with it. And may this not just be a bunch of information May this not just be something that moves us and may we not just be so in love with, with what God is doing in here. Man, may we catch what God is doing out there. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna transition into the time of communion. We do this every week. We eat a piece of bread. We drink a cup of juice because Jesus told us to. And we do this to remember that his body has been broken, his blood has been shed so that we are perfectly righteous, that we always will be in his sight. And so I want to invite you as we take communion, what we like to do is we like to, to not just always take this privately, but take it with the people around us. And so here in a minute, when you get up and go get the bread and the juice, you can come back to your seat, you can spread out around the room. And I want to just invite you, if, if you come here today and, and, and you're not a follower of Jesus, but you want to, you can do that today. There'll be some women and men at the back that respond, man, and we'd love to talk to you. We'd love to help you on your journey wherever you are. Some of you come here this morning and, and your life, man, you feel like you're just in the pressure cooker. That life is hard right now and, and communion is an amazing place to be reminded that Christ is with you, but it's also an amazing time to get some brothers and sisters around you to pray. And so open up your heart in that moment. This is what I'm going through. Will you pray for me? And we trust that God will move and minister to us in that space. And I really wanna encourage us as we leave today that there are hundreds of thousands of people around us that do not know Jesus. They don't know his grace. They don't know his love. They don't know his heart. They have such a misinformed view of him. And so may, may our prayer be and may our lives be, God, let us be alert. Let us pay attention to what you're doing. 
don't let us miss an opportunity. And so in communion, man, let's pray, God, help us to notice what you're doing this week. Help us to join you. May we give our lives to helping the people around us come to know you. May we not hoard all of the good stuff for ourselves, but may we freely share it with those around us. And so pray for people this week. As God opens up doors for your coworkers and your friends and neighbors to, to pray for them, pray for them. When God opens up doors for you to, to, to share your story, share your story. When God opens up doors for you to, to, to pray for healing, pray for healing. When God opens up doors for you to invite people into your home, step through those. We do this on Sunday to propel us out there, okay? That's what it means to be the people of God. Let's pray. God, you're amazing. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your sinlessness. Thank you for your, your spirit. Thank you for these amazing men and women and children. God, would you just pour out your love and your grace? Would you meet us this morning? Would you drive the enemy far from this place? God, would you let us leave here with such confidence that we are strong because you're in us? Thank you for who you are, for what you've done. God, give us a desire to just walk with you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.